Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mel Herbert here. It's uh, Elon Daly, part of the Talking Tecla. Tecla. Should I leave that in? Yeah, why not? I'll just leave that in because then you'll realise that, you know, I can't put two words together. It's Elon Dale. It's part of the Talking Tesla network of shows. It's September 23rd. It's a Monday. And uh, let's talk about the global climate strike, shall we? So uh, we've got Greta and she's out there with kids and they are doing these global climate strike. And i got to say, it has been quite amazing, the amount of mobilization through countries across the world. Seeing pictures in Sydney of what must have been tens or hundreds of thousands of people. And in Kenya, here in the US, all through Europe, just really quite remarkable. And many of the people in those groups were young people, like teenagers, saying, you've got to fix this for us, for our future. And really, it's just so impressive. I haven't seen stuff like this globally. I don't remember when. So Greta and everybody that's organizing this, thank you. Now, the question is, of course, will this make any difference? Will this make any difference to the people where they want to to make a difference? And that is the people in power right now. The old people, the politicians. If you're a politician and you're either sort of uh, nihilistic about this or you're in full-blown denial, do you see this and say, whatever, who cares, it's just a bunch of kids? Or do you see this and say, there's potentially a very large number of voters in there that I might want to at least pretend that I care about this issue? So we'll see. We'll see. At the end of today's program, I want you to listen to Gutierrez, who is the head of the UN. And he gives us some things to make us believe that maybe this time, unlike other times, maybe this time, things are going to be different. We'll see. And now a report from Clean Technica, which I find fascinating. So we've been following this uh, Porsche Taycan peeing match, German racetrack, who's the fastest, going back and forth. Controversies being that the Tesla specs on their face right now look like they're already better than the Porsche Taycan. And Tesla's out there playing with a new S that was actually stripped down a lot, you know, had the seats and stuff taken out of it, but was significantly faster than the Taycan and Elon coming out and saying, but the production model coming out in November of next year will be even faster still. And this puts Porsche in an interesting spot. So they are the leading sort of manufacturer of cars that go broom, broom, fast, fast. And already they're being beaten by Tesla, but that's actually not the point according to this article. The point according to this article is that Porsche has been developing the internal combustion engine to make cars go fast around tracks, you know, win on Sunday and sell on Monday, I think is uh, their internal sort of monologue. And they've come out with an EV, their first EV, which is essentially as fast as their fastest car, essentially as fast as the Porsche Panera and not quite, but almost as fast. So if they sort of go, okay, well, we don't want to be beaten by Tesla. Let's make our car even faster next time around. Then it almost certainly will be the fastest car that they have. And so the good news here, if you want to look at this story, is despite all of these years and years and years of developing fast cars and making them go faster around tracks, Porsche has basically done that with their first EV. And no doubt if they want to keep up with Tesla, and I'm sure they will, that their fastest cars, their most roomy of their cars, is not going to be an ICE car. It's going to be an EV, which just shows you that the electric motor is simply better than the ICE motor under so many different circumstances. And it used to be just sort of going zero to 60 really fast. And now they're getting these cars to the point where they can go fast and then slow and then round the corner and then punch it again at a rate that is better than their ICE cars. And this will only, only improve. So the ICE car is dead. It's just a question of how long until it is fully buried. Really interesting article. And that's why this Tesla Porsche thing is interesting. 
but not as interesting as the fact that Porsche is going to beat itself. And that's kind of weird. But actually, my favorite article from late last week comes from Electric, but it's been, you know, all over the place. And that is Rivian. Yeah, you know, Rivian, they're going to make the uh, pickup truck thing. Rivian just came out with an electric van, and this seems to have caught all of us off guard. We've talked on the show a lot about the fact that what the world needs, because we do so much Amazoning and FedExing and UPSing, and just it's a world where we basically just ship a lot of stuff. I shipped my pants, as it were. Well, Rivian is building a new delivery van that's electric, and Amazon has bought four million of them. No, sorry, four billion dollars worth of them. A hundred thousand electric minivans. Now, this is interesting because Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, I think, is an investor. Amazon is an investor in this company, and they are going to build 100,000 electric delivery vans. This is huge. You know, we've been sort of on Amazon case, and when I say we, I mean lots of people. Like, we need to freshen up Amazon. We need to green up Amazon, and they've been putting up their solar panels and stuff, and that's good. Still, they've got a long way to go with their packaging using a lot of plastic. But this, to me, is a huge step forward. 100,000 delivery vans will be doing many millions of miles, many million millions of miles. And if the energy that they put into those electric vans is renewable, this is an enormously big, huge thing. And because these vans don't need really much maintenance, and because you can run them around on electricity at a cost far less than you can on gas, if they make this van and it's good and they can make them fast enough, they'll sell many more hundreds of thousands of these, not just to, you know, Amazon, but to everybody that delivers stuff. To me, this was one of the biggest stories of the last few weeks. So go check it out. And the van, it looks pretty cool. It's a pretty little van. I've got a letter here, and it's from Andrew Creamer. And he's like, uh, my gas lawnmower is dead. And I'm definitely going to go electric, but it's kind of a big investment. The ones that I'm looking into are Ryobi, EcoCLM, EcoWorks, and Ego. Do I have any opinions about those? I don't know. I haven't used them all. I got the Ego version and uh, gave it to my gardener, and he's been using it now for months on not just our garden, but lots of people's garden. And he is super impressed. He's like, this thing works like clockwork. It's got plenty of power to do uh, lots of mowing at lots of different places. He uses the electric blower, which is his favorite, because he's like, I get home and I don't stink of kerosene and two-stroke engines and stuff. So Ego has been working really well for us, um, but I haven't checked out these other ones. But I did a little bit of homework, and this was a lot of people's experience. So I don't know if you can go wrong with Ego, but I just don't know how good these other ones are. They might be just as good. They might be better. Actually, actually, I lied. That was Mark Jennison who asked that question. But Andrew Kramer asked this question. Well, he was sort of more of a statement. I made a sort of a, a throwaway line. It wasn't quite a throwaway line about the fact that people freak out about GMO foods. And I said, we need those, I think, to stop people starving in the world ahead. And he was saying, well, hang on a second, there's plenty of food. It's just about, you know, how it's distributed and it's about economics that are all over the place. And so you don't necessarily need these GMOs. And so I accept that, although it seems to be in a world that gets increasingly hot and floods in lots of places and is so dry in other places that... You know, the foods we have might need to be modified. In fact, you know, we've modified foods constantly. The grasses we eat today have been modified by our ancestors through less robust ways or less easy ways than things like CRISPR or whatever they're using to do this genetic modification. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a sci-fi dude. I watch lots of sci-fis. I understand that genetically modifying anything could result in disastrous consequences. So we have to be, if we're going to do this, extremely careful. 
extremely carefully. But I did want to get to another part of his letter, which was about the Amazon burning. I said, you know, like they're burning down the Amazon so that they can, uh, you know, till it. And he's like, actually, the Amazon soil is not very fertile. So what happens is that they come in, they burn the Amazon, then they farm it for a bit, but it's not very good. And then they move on and burn the next bit. And then they go on and burn the next bit. So it's actually quite a bit of a disaster. And then the, and then they bring in the goats and stuff that eat the plants that are left that we don't want to eat. So actually, that's worse than I thought. It's worse than I thought because uh, basically, a burning it, it's not that fertile. You can't use it year after year. And then you go to the next thing. If we burn down the Amazon... We're in serious trouble. You can get depressed by the fact that, on the one hand, we have all this science and uh, we have all those people saying we should not be burning down the Amazon. We should be actually increasing the size of the Amazon. We should be planting at least a trillion more trees. And there are groups doing that. And at the same time, there are people over here saying, well, eh, let's burn and let's uh, log our own stuff. And it gets you really anxious, or at least gets me anxious. And uh, some people make sort of fun of those of us that are really worried about this, this existential crisis. This, the science is pretty clear. If we keep going down this road, we're leaving ourselves and our children a planet that we just don't want to be on. But don't get depressed, because I want to introduce you to a gentleman here who's the head of the UN. His name is Gutierrez, and he says this time he thinks that there's reason to be more hopeful. And this is recorded from CNN, Fareed Sakari GPS. It's used without permission. So if this is the last Elon Daily you hear, you know it's because CNN has come and said, take that down. Let's listen. The world came out in force on Friday in climate strikes. The protesters, young and old, were angry and determined to upend the status quo. On Monday, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres will convene world leaders, business leaders, civic leaders to press for urgent action on what the UN is calling the global climate emergency. Noticeably absent will be Donald Trump. Then on Tuesday, the so-called high-level general debate begins, where world leaders, including this time Donald Trump, will offer a piece of their minds. All of that action will happen in the General Assembly room, where I sat down with the Secretary General. Before his appointment as Secretary General, Guterres served as Prime Minister of Portugal and went on to be the UN's High Commissioner for Refugees. Mr. Secretary-General, thank you so much for doing this. It's a great pleasure to be here. People have been trying to get the world to take the climate crisis seriously for a while now. And honestly, it doesn't seem to really work. Why do you think you will succeed when others have failed? Because I think things are changing very quickly. Climate change was perceived as a problem for the end of the century. But more and more the reality is proving that climate change is a problem today. And uh, it's not only a question of glaciers melting or the bleaching of corals. Uh, it's becoming a serious problem with uh, terrible storms being more intense, uh, more frequent and with more devastating consequences, not only in the global south, but here in the United States. Uh, uh, and we see public health problems. Uh, uh, according to the World Health Organization, the combination of climate change and pollution kills 7 million people per year. We see heat waves killing people in northern Europe. Uh, we see tropical diseases going north. Uh, so more and more people are feeling that climate change is impacting on them today. And this is changing public opinions. You have seen in the results of the uh, European elections how climate change all of a sudden became the issue. One year before it was migration last time in the European elections was 
climate change. And I saw recently a poll uh, here in the US, and I could see there is an overwhelming majority of American citizens that consider that climate change is indeed a very meaningful threat and that it requires a solid uh, government action. So I think things are changing. The public opinion is waking up. The youth is making fantastic campaigns and the business community is starting to work seriously. Uh, central banks are including climate change risks. We see rating agencies uh, including climate change risks. Uh, we see more and more big asset managers representing trillions of dollars divesting from fossil fuels. And uh, uh, it is clear for me that uh, in the civil society, in the business community, in cities, in states, and with the general public, there is more and more this conscience, this is a threat now. And obviously, governments tend to follow public opinions, as we all know, governments tend to follow society. And so I'm starting to see governments also understanding that they need to act. We still have emissions growing. We are still not there. Climate change is running faster than what we are. But for the first time, I'm seeing more and more countries accepting that they have to be carbon neutral in 2050. I see more and more countries giving full priority uh, to um, renewable energy, uh, phasing out coal. Not, in, not everywhere. We still have a very serious coal problem, especially in Asia. But I think that the momentum is being gained. And I'm hopeful that we'll be able to accelerate this momentum in the next decade. And it's vital because the next decade is to take it or leave it. Either we do it in the next decade or it will be irreversible to have a catastrophic situation in the end of the century. So there's some reason for help. The Secretary General says, you know, things are different this time and they better be, otherwise we're in serious trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the show is at Elon Dale. It's part of the Talking Tesla Network of shows. We're trying to do our part. You're trying to do your part. We can do this. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Herbert out. Thank you.